All right, good morning, everybody. We could grab our seats here. Good morning, good morning. All right. So, we're always trying new things. I feel like there's a little bit of a platform here. Like, I keep wanting to step on it. So much taller with this. (laughs) All right. Well, For those that are joining us uh, for the first time, uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We're doing a series in the book of Romans right now. And uh, today we're going to look at, actually today we're going to look at chapter 9 to 11. So we're looking through three chapters. And I have to admit, as I was preparing this series, I struggled a lot with this series, with, with this particular sermon. Um, I, <laughs> I wanted to give up and give it to Andrew. I'm going to go call Andrew. I'm like, hey, can you preach this? <laughs> uh, because chapter 9 to 11, for those that know the book of Romans, these chapters touch on some really big topics. Topics that uh, have been debated throughout the history of the church. Topics in which there isn't really a resolution for at this time. And I don't think there is going to be a resolution until Jesus comes back. Topics where we're talking about the sovereignty and grace which opens up the whole predestination topic, which is always a lot of fun and very heavy stuff. Uh, And then we talk about the relationship between the Jewish people and the Gentiles in the context of salvation and with the current political things that are happening and war that's happening. It feels very relevant, but at the same time, how do I tackle this? So it was a big, big portion, big topics. And all of these topics in within itself is very divisive. That churches have split because of these topics. That churches don't get along because of these topics. And so even as Paul writes about this, with the purpose to actually unify the church, somehow in the modern day in our theological debates, it's actually created some new debates. So these theological issues are complex, but there's also this theme of God's grace and mercy, and Paul writes about our salvation of faith in Jesus. And so even as I struggle to write a sermon today because I've gone into so many different directions myself. My hope is that I could give you a good overview at least and a a somewhat concise message. (laughs) And my hope is that as I go into this that it propels you and compels you to read this more for yourself. That you come under the spirit and, and, and God kind of explains some of his mysteries to you. 
But before we can, let's pray and uh, we'll, we'll dive right into you. Father God, we come before you and we ask for your mercy and we ask for your grace. We ask for your spirit uh, to take even hard passages sometimes for us to read, but allow us to see more of your character. Allow us to unlock more of your mystery. And God, we know that you are king and you're Lord of all things and over our salvation. So Lord, as we come in today, will you take these words and show us in your spirit what you want us to take out of it. So Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So it's best if you have your Bibles open today um, because there's a lot of context. There's a lot of text, and I'm going to put some of it up. We're not going to put all of it up. We're not going to read through all three chapters. Uh, but before I go into all three chapters, I wanted to give you guys at least an overview of what these three chapters are talking about so that as you guys go home and study this, you guys have at least this is the context of what these three chapters are talking about. So starting in Romans 9, 1 to 5, what Paul is doing, he's expressing this deep sorrow of the unbelief of his fellow Jews, but he emphasizes kind of their unique place because they're under God's co covenant, right? They're the first people, they're the chosen people, they're under the, the, the initial covenant of God. And then from there he goes from verses 6 to 20, 29, Paul goes into the idea that God's promises and his chosen people are based on God's sovereign choice. And then he goes into this kind of example of Jacob and Esau as an illustration that it's God's election and not human merit. And if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, that God, human merit would have chosen Esau because he was firstborn, but God chose Jacob, right? And that his sovereignty is above all of that, that his choice uh, is, it talks about that idea of election. And then 9.30 to 10.21, which leads us to the end of chapter 2, 10, he explains what righteousness is attained through faith in Jesus. And it's not by keeping the Jewish laws. And then Paul, he kind of vents about how Israel rejects Christ and how they fail to recognize God's righteousness through faith. And then chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, it says that Paul says that there are, there are some Jews that believe. It's not that all Jews have rejected. There are remnants, is what he calls them, remnants of Jews who believe and that not all of Israel has hardened themselves. And then 11 to 24, Paul expands this by addressing the relationship between the Gentiles and Jews, and then the inclusivity of the gospel and extend it towards all the Gentiles. And he illustrates this uh, through a, a picture of grafting the olive tree, the grafting branches into an olive tree. And that the Gentiles have now been included into God's salvation and that the hardening and the unbelief of Jews will have the second chance. And then 11.25 to 32 is this message of hope that all of Israel will be saved and this in itself could be lectures. Uh, and so we'll, we'll go into this, but he talks about his plan for reconciliation. And there's this idea of what is that mystery of what does it mean for all of Israel will be saved. What did Paul mean in that? And then he finishes off from 33 to 36 saying that God's wisdom and knowledge in his are, are deep and unsearchable and that God's ways are inscrutable for 
from Him and through Him are all things. So it's all about God's glory. And so the, that's, that's kind of the big picture, okay, of, of these three chapters. And I want you guys to be able to say, hey, okay, this is how we're going to attack it as well. And so now I get the, the, the ability and the privilege to kind of unpack a little bit of this for you guys, okay? So we have to begin to understand the fullness of God's grace. We have to start with this idea of the sovereignty of God and the grace of God. And that's in chapter 9 we get, and this is it. So the sovereignty of God is that we believe that God is in all things. He's the creator of all heaven and earth, that he is, he, he is omniscient and omnipotent, that's all-knowing and, and uh, that he's all-present. And that his sovereignty means that God rules over all things. And so he therefore knows all things. And therefore he sets everything in place. That's his sovereignty. His grace is his gift for all of humanity. That we've sinned and his grace is there poured out into the world and saying that I love the world regardless of what has happened. This opens up the whole idea of predestination. If you guys are not churched and don't know what predestination means, generally predestination, there's two kind of school of thoughts. There's one called Calvinism and one called Arminianism. And some of you guys are just like, John, I don't even care about this stuff. Good, because you shouldn't need to. But I'm going to give you the thought process behind it too, because as a church, when you're faced with these things, these are questions that you need to know, but also have answers for, Okay. And so, what are these two, two school of thoughts? One uh, is Calvinism, which is taught by, well, come up. Okay, so both points have, both areas, Armenianism and Calvinism have five points that they all kind of surround themselves with, okay? And Calvinism is from a French theologian called John Calvin, and he says that God's sovereignty is unconditional, unlimited, and absolute. And that all things are predetermined by, God, by the good pleasure of God's will. So that God foreknew everything because of his own planning. So that's Calvinism. The other thought of this is from uh, another theologian called Jacobus Arminius, which is where we get Arminianism. And actually Arminianism, Jacobus was actually a student of John Calvin. And it's actually in reading Romans that he came up with kind of the opposing view which is that God is sovereign, but has limited his own control because of man's free will. And that God's decrees are associated with God in his all-knowing aspect, or his omniscience, a foreknowledge of man's response. So, this kind of determines how people kind of fall. The reality is that we don't have to agree with all five points of either side. And there are people that say, I'm actually only a three-point Calvinist or a four-point Calvinist. That I only agree with three of the four points, and, or I'm a two-point Armenian or, or a, a four-point Armenian. That people are able to pick and choose. And that's the reality of this whole aspect of God's sovereignty and his grace. Is that we have the grace to be able to come into this understanding on our own terms. Now you see why this is so hard to preach. Because the reality is that even myself as a pastor, and I was preparing for this, 
I was like, I don't actually know where I fall myself. Where, how do I preach this sermon if I'm still wrestling with this myself? And you don't have to have an answer for this. That's the reality of it. That people don't have the answer to this and they will go to the grave without this answer. And that's okay. Because there's, there's things that we don't understand. And this is what we talk about God's sovereignty is that God's sovereignty shapes the course of humanity for us to see his glory so that we could reconcile relationships. The church is about our faith in God and in the church. And we can have different views in all things and still exist to be a church because we know that God is sovereign. But in this sovereignty, there is a human responsibility to put our faith in God. So there is that aspect of faith. So when we look at all of these things, the best way I could explain this whole sovereign aspect is like adoption. That when a baby is adopted in the family, the baby did nothing to earn their place in that family that they were chosen out of love and grace. And in the same way, God chose to send his son Jesus to give us salvation so we are adopted into that love and grace. You see, salvation is inclusive. This shows us the nature of God's grace. Jesus gives us this parable, and Jesus, the reason I'm giving this parable to us is because Jesus explains this better than I do, Right? So we find this parable, the parable of the great banquet in both Matthew and Luke. And this parable goes a little bit like this. It goes, there's this master of the house that is throwing a feast, a banquet. And that this master decides to send out all the invitation. He sends out his servants and says, go and invite these people, my guest list, to my house for this banquet. And so when the servants go out, the guests begin to make excuses for not coming. Like, I just bought land, and so I have to attend to the land. Or I just bought some new oxen, and I can't come. Or I just got married, and therefore I cannot attend your ceremony. And so the servants go back to the master. And the master gets angry about it and says, go out into the streets and invite all those that are blind, all those that are, are crippled, all those that are lame, all those that are poor, and invite them into the banquet. Other servants go out and do that, and after they go out and do that, there's still more room, and so God, so the master then goes and says, go and compel people to come. This is a parable in which Jesus is speaking of the first guest that he invited was Israel. That this is chosen people. But Israel rejected the invitation, and so the master extended it out to everybody else. Anyone that's willing to come, which is what we call Gentiles. Or the biblical aspect of what Gentiles are, is everyone that's not Jewish. But what this teaches us is that Paul was saying in chapter 10 that salvation 
is for everyone. That salvation is for everyone that's willing to hear. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jews or Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the riches of God's grace. That all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That God first chose Israel to be his people, but then he chose, he then chose all of humanity. And then he goes into this aspect in chapter 11 where Paul talks about how we're grafted into were grafted into the main branch for those who choose him. He uses this imagery of the olive tree. And he says that those, this olive tree, the branches that don't bear fruit, the branches that don't believe, he breaks off and then he takes the wild olive branches and he grafts them into the main, main branch so that the roots can flow through and into those wild branches as well. And it's this picture of God building his church. It's this picture of God including everyone into salvation. He's just like, but it rests on one thing. There's many different thoughts on this, and I, I, I want to be very careful because I don't want this to be political. Okay, it could, especially in today's time, <laughs> I feel like it can get very political because of what's going on in our world right now. This is not about politics, okay? This isn't about anything else but what is biblical. Israel is God's chosen people. The war that's happening right now between Israel and Palestine has gone on for centuries. This is not a new thing. For those that are reading out there, and there's so many things that the news that feeds us and says that this is the occupation of Israel in, in Palestine because Israel only became a nation in, in, in 1945 or whatever it is, 48. All of this is, it's recent. This is the message that they want to put out there. But the reality is Israel and Palestine has been at war since the time of Abraham. Okay. And this war has continued for generations. This isn't something that is new. Okay, this is before even the formation of Israel. And so when God says, I've chosen People, I've chosen Abraham. Remember when we talked about, when we first went into this series, we talked about how Abraham was deemed what? Righteous because of his faith. Let's focus on that aspect of it. That 
in this place, in this time, and we're talking about Israel and non-Israelites, that media will always try to tell us that this is where we stand for. The reality is that God cares for all of humanity and that all of humanity is his creation. And that there are people that are suffering because of a few people's choices. Okay? So it's not political. But we also have to understand that Israel has a special place with God. That Israel is his first fruits. This Israel was his first choice. And when we get into this place of what it means in chapter 11, verse 16, where it says that all of Israel will be saved. Romans 11, verse 25 to 27, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in and all and in this way, all of Israel will be saved, as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. So, this is just from my own understanding, okay? This is not canon. This is not truth. I'm going to present to you what I read, and then you could counter me with what you read. All right? It says this. It says that I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery that a partial hardening has come onto, onto Israel. There's a partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there's a hardening of Israel's heart and a rejection of Jesus and a rejection of Christianity, okay? And so we, we see that in Israel today. With the Jewish faith, the, uh, they, they reject Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the reality of it. So there's a rejection of what is written in Scripture. Jews, they don't read the New Testament. They only read the Old Testament. They only understand the Old Testament. They, for them, according to the Jews, Old Testament is the only holy book. There is no New Testament to that. Okay? And so this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the hardening of Israel. Until the fullness of Gentile has come in. It's an opportunity for that idea of people being grafted into the main branch. This is the idea that now the gospel is going to all nations for all to hear, for everyone in this world, for all of humanity, that I have good news for everyone else. Why does, why does God do this? The purpose, we have to go back to verse 11, and it says that the salvation of the Gentiles is to make Israel jealous. Okay, so chapter 11, verse 11, it says this, to make Israel jealous. And then it says from Moses saying, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. So there's this 
aspect in this idea that when the gospel of Jesus, the message of God, is extended beyond the chosen people, that Israel will see that and it'll make them jealous for who God is. Does that make sense? That they will come into faith with God and a new faith will be reborn with them in how they see God's love extended and his grace extended to everybody else. Paul goes on and uses the example of Elijah. And if you guys know the story of Elijah, Elijah cries out to God, he's saying, and he, he has this, this battle with, uh, with um, the priest of Baal, okay? You guys remember that story? And Elijah g- cries out to God and he says that all your people have turned over to Baal. I'm the only one left. So it's not the first time Jews have turned away from God. We see that throughout the history of, even through the Bible. And God's reply was, I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed down to Baal. And there are still Jews that are chosen by grace because they have faith. Grace is not grace if there is no faith. Okay. Faith and grace have to go hand in hand. Grace is what gives you, is what, grace, what God gives you, okay? Grace is a gift. This is only something that God could give you. This is only something that God is able to present to you. And faith is a response to that grace. And it takes both of these things working together for salvation to happen. So salvation is not dependent on grace alone, because if it was dependent on grace alone, then everyone would be saved, Right? then everyone will go to heaven. Grace is something that God gives to everyone, but it is only through faith and by faith that this person receives salvation. You have to believe what God has given you in order for you to receive salvation. So grace and faith need to always work together. It always has to come together. So I'm going to try to expand on this a little bit more. One of the things is I, I feel like this whole sermon, I feel like I could get in trouble for some of my thoughts. And so please be gracious to me. Let me explain this. Salvation isn't only about asking God to forgive us of our sins. Can we agree with that? Sin is what separates us from God. But God isn't waiting for us to ask him for forgiveness. He's already done that. God has already forgiven us. He's already dealt with sins that are in the past, in the present, and in the future. God has already dealt with sin. So salvation isn't about us coming to ask for forgiveness from God. Grace is that God says, I've done it, and I am giving it to you. And salvation comes because we have that faith in God that God has done it, and we get to receive the truth of salvation through faith, and it becomes a reality in us. 
when we confess our sin, it is about asking God for forgiveness. It is our response in faith because of his grace. Does that make sense? Faith appropriates what God has already provided. You see, the message that much of the church is preaching causes us to become more conscious of our sin instead of conscious of the righteousness that causes us to focus on what we have to do. And what it propels is this work-based faith. Instead of a grace-based faith where God has done it, and so that we could just come to God and say, I worship you. The church's message focuses on so much that man has sinned. We focus so much on preaching this idea that you're a sinner and therefore you need God, which is true. But it's the wrong message that we're putting out there. The message that we should be putting out there is a message of hope, a message of reconciliation, a message of faith. It's a message of God has given this for you so that you have hope. When we keep on telling people that you are a sinner and therefore you need God, we focus ourselves on our sins. The reality is that as man, we constantly think of our depravity, right? We think of the places that we are wrong. We always think of the places that, that we're incomplete. We think of the places that, that we're broken, that's constantly on our mind. We may not always say it out, and we may not always live it out, but that's in our minds. We already know that, that we are deprived. That we live in sin. And if the church content, continues to propel this message that you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, then what happens is that we continue to perpetuate this idea that we need to fix our own sins. And that's just not what the gospel is about. The gospel isn't about us fixing our sins. The gospel is us coming into a place where we know that Jesus fixed our sins. That Jesus says, I forgive you and I have forgiven you and I will continue to forgive you. That's the message of the cross. And the Holy Spirit's job is not to convict us of our sins daily but it's to convict us of the ultimate sin of not coming into Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to compel you to see Jesus more than you see yourself. We see our sin because we see Jesus. Just like I preach that the laws are there so that we understand what sin is that we have a moral compass. Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, is there so that we know that we're sinning because we know who he is. The church's message needs to be about Jesus. It needs to be about the righteousness of Jesus and the righteousness of God and how that comes to his people because of their faith. The message of the church needs to be about faith and not about sin. And as a church, we preach 
that message of sin and that becomes the forefront of everybody's mind. And we forget to preach the message of grace. It is only by grace that you are saved. Church, we have this amazing gift. And when we say that we're empowered by the grace of God, that's what we're talking about. We're empowered by the grace of God because we see his sovereignty in our lives. That God knows all he is, all he is everything, and we worship that. Yes, that's good. We understand his gift for us. That's the grace that's poured down onto us, and we say, okay, that's good. And then our response needs to be, I put my trust and my faith in this. And I believe that when the church begins to preach this message, that more people will see the glory of God. Because right now, when people look at the church, they don't see the glory of God. They just see what we should and shouldn't be. They just see the, the things that the church, basically the propaganda of the church, saying, if you're not this, you therefore don't belong. Whereas the message of the church is that everyone belongs that God loves every single person in this world that he has created. So just come as you are. You don't need to have gone through all the teachings and the understandings. You don't need to know the doctrines uh, of the church in order to become a believer. But that you just need to believe. That's it. I just need to put my trust in who God is and what he's done for me. And that's it. It's a simple message, but we have complicated it so much. It's a simple message. Reiterated in Romans 3, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe, for there's no distinctions, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He has passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith is what is essential in this relationship. That we must trust God's promises. Even Jesus exemplifies the Gentiles that have great faith. In Matthew 8, we find the story of the centurion who comes to Jesus because his servant is sick. And the centurion goes and he asks Jesus to heal his serv servant. And Jesus says to the centurion, I'm, I will come. I'll come to your place. And the centurion says, I am not worthy to have you in my house. But I know that you could just say the word and the ser my, my servant will be healed. 
And what was Jesus' response to that? He says, I tell you, no one in Israel have, have I found with such faith. That we access God through faith, that we access who he is and the power that he has through faith. That if we believe, Jesus says, if we even have faith of a mustard seed, we could do what? We can move mountains. Faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. The entirety of the Bible, the entirety of Jesus' ministry is about faith. Amen? But what the church is actually missing today is a faith that endures. The church is actually weak in this area because we don't fully grasp the sovereignty and the grace of God. Because in God's sovereignty, God's grace becomes a source of our faith. And this allows us to persevere through the challenges and through the trials of what life throws us. Last week I, I, I said, sometimes life sucks, right? Life just throws things at you and it just sucks. But what we're lacking in the church is spiritual toughness. I brought up the story of Job and how Job went through immense suffering, right? That Job suffered through having everything taken away from him, yet Job was able to trust in God's sovereignty and grace. And that was what empowered Job to persevere. Job 13.5, Job says, though he slay me, I have hope in him. That it doesn't matter what God is throwing at me, that I still have my hope. That no matter what God, whatever happens in my life, that I still have hope. Because I know that God is sovereign, that God is for me, he's not against me. The church is missing a spiritual toughness. It's missing, it, 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 we, we get to a place where, oh, God doesn't answer my prayer, and because of that, I I don't believe in God, that God exists anymore. That I'm going through this trial and it's so hard for me and God doesn't see me and therefore God doesn't actually exist. That I'm going through, that when I'm reading the Bible that there's things I don't understand and there's controversies and there's, there's things that contradict each other and so therefore the Bible must not be true. We have all these excuses within the church and we have all these things that drive our thoughts and, the, and our hearts. That even the political things that happen changes the way that we relate to God and the, the way we relate to the church. And we're missing a spiritual toughness and an endurance and a, perseve a perseverance that is required of us. But the reason why we don't have that endurance is because we don't see the sovereignty of God and we don't see the grace that God has given us. And that our faith rests in some things that are just things that make us feel good. You see, God's sovereignty and his grace are inextricably linked. even though this is something that's hard for us to fully grasp 
that God through his sovereignty extends grace not because of what we have done, but because of his unfailing love. This is what gives us a firm foundation of our salvation and in our journey of faith. And yes, our faith is a journey. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-off thing. But our faith requires us to trust that God is for us and not against us. That's what's going to give us the endurance. That's what's going to help us in times where we don't feel like we see God. That's what's going to give us hope in the places where we feel like it's hopeless. That we can look towards God and say, I know that you are for me. I don't understand it right now. I don't get it. I have my doubts. I have my struggles. I have my anger towards you, God. But in every single one of those spaces, we could say, but I know you are for me, that you're not against me. And then verse, at the end of chapter 11, it says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let that be the anthem of your heart. That is God's sovereignty in our lives. That's God's ability to say that I everything in my hands. And so yes, this is a big theological concept. It's huge. And I don't even have the, uh, the answers for you. I don't feel like I need to give you the answers though. I just want to present to you today this idea that God is sovereign, that he gives us grace to you, that you're included. That the church has a message and a, and a message for the whole world to hear. And that we still have to figure out this whole Israel thing. I'm still, I still don't know what I'm talking about in that area. Sorry. I want you to be reminded of, of his sovereignty and his grace. And so let this be our prayer as we close off here. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father God, we come before you. And we just sit under knowing that you are for us and not against us. And Lord, we, may we as a church be able to put our faith in knowing that truth. So Father God, we come before you as a church and we just give you our gratitude. Lord, that as you pour out your grace and your mercy, 
that we receive all these things through faith. So Lord, increase our faith. Increase just our love for you. And continue to reveal more and more of who you are and the things that you have for us. So Lord, we thank you and pray all in Jesus' name. What I got from the message this morning is God is so good. God is so good. He brought all of us together for and everyone for him, through him, and for him are all things. For him, through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. God wants to bring us all together, even all of heaven and earth. And that includes Israel, the Gentiles, all things together. And to, to, to just pour animosity, violence, and, and injustice into this world is definitely not God's will. And to see all the things that are they're wrecking this world, all the pollution, everything, sin, is definitely not God's will. And God wants to bring all things together. And that includes Jews, Gentiles, sinners, by grace. But do we believe it? And that's the question. Do we have faith? Do we trust that message? Do we know this Jesus who wants to join heaven and earth together? Or are we sowing seeds of discord, disunity? The Bible tells us in Romans 5 that there's peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? Do we, do we trust that message? Or do we say, I, I got a different agenda to run this world. But there's one sovereign God who's running this world, and he wants and he longs to see all of us united in him, bring all things together for him, for his sake. So today, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see how good you are, that you extended grace to all of creation, all humanity. But you took and you chose Abraham and Israel to be the model, to be the model of faith, what it means to have faith, what it means to trust you. And Abraham trusted you, and that's the model of faith. Help us to have faith today, to believe that you are so good that you want all things to come together under you, Christ. All things are for you. But somehow, God, right now, we know that things are not together. Things are fractured, and, and, and things look terrible when they are all fractured and broken. And, but we pray, Holy Spirit, that you unify the church. Even the church today is fractured. We see people in different political stances and and they're all fractured. And we pray for a spirit of unity to bind all of us together under the flag of Jesus Christ. And that we will all be together with peace, with, with, with a, a desire to, to forgive and to heal and to reconcile rather than 
point our fingers and say who is on God's side and who is not and judge and bring this unity and 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 the and, and, and more, more uh, sorrow into this world. So Jesus, help us to see your heart, that you want to unify all of us and bring peace and bring, bring all of us under, under, under your rulership to be united, to be in love, united in love and in, and in, uh, in faith towards you. So Jesus, help us to heal um, in, in, inside of us too. Help us to heal and know that uh, your peace is for us. And then help us to bring that peace to others even though it might cost us. Sometimes it will cause us suffering, but it's okay because you need that toughness of faith to believe again in your goodness because you're so good to us. You want all of us to unify under you. So, Lord Jesus, help us to see that you are so good, you're so wonderful. How can we then not be good to others? So, Lord, help us to spread your good news, your goodness, how good you are towards all of us, and bring that blessing to others, even if it costs us. Help us to have that tenacity of faith to believe that you are so good, so wonderful, so loving, so gracious, and so kind. So be with your people, I pray. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.